0: to the store. everybody, and welcome to another True Stories of Tinseltown. And today is a ho, 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 Merry Christmas, fa-la-la-la-la, yahoo kind of show. Because I am talking to the amazing Jeremy Arnold, who wrote um, for TCM, Christmas in the Movies, 300, 30, 330 Classics to Celebrate the Season. And hi, Jeremy. And thank you so much for coming on. I love the book because I love Christmas movies and I'm thrilled you're here and we can give people some tidbits about movies and I think this is great. You know, this book is really great for reference every year. You know what I mean? Sort of a go-to book.
1: Uh, yeah, I, I I'm glad to hear that, and thank you very much for having me. And yes, it is thirty, not three hundred. Thank goodness. Right? Yes, I know. I, I'm sorry, I
0: choked on that. I'm sorry. You guys. <laughs> no
1: no no worries. <laughs> <laughs> Believe me, I've heard from so many people that this and that and that other movie is also a Christmas movie. And, you know and, what? You know, for for some people, if, if Christmas is even mentioned in a movie, it's a Christmas movie. So I then know there, would, there might be three hundred. There
0: are. <laughs> if you do, you know what you have to do. The essentials, hallmark Christmas movies. You'd yeah, have I like a thousand.
1: <laughs> I don't think I would tackle that one. I'll leave oh that my
0: God. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing against them. If you guys love those movies, it's sweet, but you know, well, what shall we say? Anyway, what made you want to write this book on Christmas movies?
1: Well, to be honest, it's a little, the, the answer is not particularly romantic. I had just done um, a book for TCM and Running Press, The Essentials. Uh, the Love first it. Volume of the two essentials books. Thank you. And uh, when I finished that one, my, my editor at Running Press said that she and Turner had been mulling over other ideas for books. And they came up with the idea of a book about Christmas movies. And she asked me if I was interested. So um, I can't really say that it, it was some particular, you know, lifelong passion of mine Then I always wanted to do a book about it. I just, I was presented with it. And at first I wasn't actually sure if it was my cup of tea. Um, but then I, I, I grew interested when I thought about the fact that it would be, it would be fascinating to explore what actually makes a movie, a Christmas movie and, and, and explore what the definition of one is and how you could work in all kinds of examples from different genres. Um, and so I that's really what what interested me and um and then it was just such great fun to actually revisit all the movies, in some cases see them for the first time. Um and uh it was a little odd to be writing about Christmas movies and watching them in, you know, March, April, May, but <laughs>
0: oh, that's, that's
1: the way that ho ho
0: feeling can be all the time, yeah. you know. We get that Christmas spirit and jingle bells and all that stuff. If we want it anyway. Um what was it going to? So, you know, you chose 30. Is that what TCM wanted? They wanted you to pick 30 Flint films. 30 of yeah, the top I mean, picks.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this, this was uh, the result of discussions with, with Turner and with Running Press. They have a partnership for a series of film books. they mm-hmm. published oh, a, a couple dozen at this point. And they're, they're all really good. Oh, and
0: they're great. Nice
1: variety, And um, it just, you know, in terms of what the timeline was, what the budget was for the book, what the size of the book they wanted, it, all these kinds of uh, criteria came into play. And it just seemed that 30 was sort of a reasonable number. And also you have, you know, the 30 days of Christmas. It, it just seemed like it, it sort of made sense. Um, but of course, there are definitely more than 30 movies that are Christmas movies. So we had to, hone down a list.
0: How many do you think you watched before you finally did the book and chose oh, you 30?
1: Um, yeah, this is not a case where I, you know, watched everyone ever made. Um, <laughs> because I mean, most of the ones in the book, we pretty much knew going mm-hmm. in, well, these have to be in there. So it wasn't that there was, it, it really ended up maybe leaving about five or 10 slots that you know, I had to, like, figure out what to fill them with. And right. so I probably watched another 10 or 12 movies beyond the ones that are that are in the book. Of course, there were some others I'd already seen. I didn't need to watch them again um, just to figure out what to choose. Um, but, yeah, there, there are a few that I, you know, I wish I could have had room for.
0: Yes. And there's um, – we'll talk about the later choices. But first I want to get to the 30s. There really weren't a lot of Christmas movies in the 30s, were there?
1: Not really. Um, it didn't really become a device until the World War II era. And that's I really don't think that's an accident at all. Yes. Um, because, of course, World War II was a time that was ripping families apart. And then in the post-war era in the 40s, families were trying to rebuild themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, there were broken families. There were, you know, traumatized families. There are every kind of variety. And um, it really, I think Hollywood just found Christmas as a perfect story device to represent the family unit, um, both, you know, in a joyful, positive way, in a negative, traumatic way, in a poignant way. I mean, it really is kind of perfect. And um, I think it represented sort of a a longing for the way things had been. Christmas is a time of great nostalgia, of course. And there are even movies like Meet Me in St. Louis that are set in the past, sort of an, an idealized past. Yes, um, And a look at a family that's that's idealized. So it's a really it's a really interesting um, period for for that reason. I think.
0: Um, The 30s, they did. I'm so glad you didn't pick them. And we'll talk about one of my favorite Christmas movies later. And you say exactly how I feel about it. But they had two. um, I think they had a horrible Scrooge. And now they're having the one with Reginald Denny at Christmas Carol. And that was the one that Lionel Barrymore was supposed to do right before he hurt his back.
1: Uh, yes, that is right. And, of course, Lionel Barrymore had played Scrooge on the radio for many years. Yes. Um, and which is why when you see It's a Wonderful Life, his Mr. Potter is He's sort fabulous. of a glimpse oh. of what his Scrooge would have been like.
0: <laughs> yes, he was great. But I have to say, Reginald Denny, that skull cap you know, I tried. It was on TCN last night. And I tried to watch it I didn't get through five minutes Because I hate that version And I also can't stand the other one With this guy, I think his name is Seymour Hicks So the first movie Seymour. we get to You know who that one is? That horrible Seymour Hicks one?
1: Yes, no, I, um, I'm, I'm familiar with that one And also just, uh, it's point of clarification It's actually uh, Reginald Owen Not Reginald Denny
0: I knew um, that, yes, Reginald Denny <laughs> is the guy Who's in Mr. Blanding's uh, Build his dream house
1: yeah, yep, yeah. Um, and yes. yeah, there there have been many versions of Scrooge. Yeah. Um, I, I don't think the Reginald Owen version is that bad. But it's not the, that the- bad,
0: but we know which one is the B-E-S-S-S-T-T-T <laughs> exclamation point and underline 59 times. But first, before we get to that one, I want to talk about the first movie in your book, Miracle on Main Street. And mm-hmm. I had never seen it. I heard, or maybe I did when I was really little, and I took a chance. And guess what? It was on YouTube, so I watched it. And want to tell everybody the gist of this flick?
1: Oh, I'm I'm sorry. Do I want to? Yes. Um, this is I'm sorry. This is a film that I'm. First of all, I'm glad to hear it's on YouTube because it's never been released on yes. home entertainment, as far mm-hmm. as I know. And it, it's the only movie in the book that's kind of hard to find. And And um, it's not a bad
0: print, not a bad quality.
1: Good. Um, Yeah, this is a really unusual film. It was made independently and released by Columbia. And it was also shot in a Spanish language version at the same time, Mm -hmm. which was not uncommon in in those days because the film is sort of set in a Spanish language uh, part of Los Angeles. Yes, And um, it it's about a woman in uh a Spanish area of a Spanish speaking area of Los Angeles who basically is a stripper. She's shown as a burlesque dancer, but that's old movie lingo for a stripper basically. Yeah. And she she has a a no good husband and she goes to hide out from the cops as I remember in a church and mm-hmm. she finds an abandoned baby and basically keeps the baby to help her escape that night. But mm-hmm. then forms an attachment to that baby and keeps it. And the movie is really about her being able to do that legitimately and the way that that act helps transform her and turn her life around. And now this sounds like it could be rather cloying based on that blot description. But what I find really touching about the film is that it it really uses the idea of Christmas time as almost a force that helps transform people for, for the better. And not in really, even though there's some religious elements to this film, it you, it has more of a, a, a pure feel of what we all want Christmas time to be—the sort of healing nature of it, the the positive goodness of it, that that kind of thing. And um, the when you see characters transform in Christmas movies, Scrooge is the most obvious example, but you see it in all kinds of Christmas films. That is a real hallmark of the. I won't say genre, because it's not really a genre, but of the, the type of film. And uh, this is just a really unusual offbeat example of it that shows that even in a low-budget, you know, sort of B mo- almost a B-movie, um, that kind of um, approach to Christmas as a storytelling device can really be at play. And there's some really interesting filmmakers at work here, too. Uh, it's an early film for some notable talent behind the camera. Steve Seagli and Boris Inkster, the writer – Producer Jack Skirball, who would later become more famous. And, and Margot, who, who plays this character, we all, you know, classic movie fans will remember her mostly from Lost Horizon.
0: Which I hate uh, that. She, I hate that movie. <laughs> I wrote a whole article on it and just went on about it. Doesn't sound like she ought to be. But um, yes, Margot played the woman who, uh, what was it? the brother, the brother of uh, the lovely guy the Grand Poobah, who was going to be the Grand Poobah, Ronald Coleman's brother. Uh, yes, yes, yes. She, she told and, him and that she what? was going to be, that she was kidnapped, That she, and then they're telling him that she was kidnapped like 80 years ago and she's really an old battle axe. And um, right. And then he gets her out. So that's Margo. But what cracks me up is that she has the funniest name I've ever, real-life name, Um she was uh, Xavier Cugat, if you guys know who he is. He was huge, huge, huge uh, band player. And um, Desi Arnaz came from that and all that other stuff. And But her name, she was born in Mexico, and she's just Margo, but she was born as Maria Margarita Guadalupe Teresa Ezea, Bolado Castilla E. O'Donnell. I love that. O'Donnell <laughs> after all those names. So she was really cute. I th- I thought she was very charming and adorable in this movie. Um, I didn't recognize Lyle Talbot to be honest with you at first. He always mm-hmm. he played a lot of creepy guys. He did a lot of pre code, and I don't think he did much after. Although he did do uh, some Ed Wood's movies, but I guess because he he was huskier and he um, you know was a little bit older. Um, and Walter Abel played the good guy, and the two dames, I love them, her fellow strippers, they were fabulous. And it's just such a nice movie. So you guys can check it out. It's first in his book. He has tons of information. You know, we're not even going into it. But you know, obviously, he gives you behind the scenes and lots of stuff on each movie. Check it out because it's on YouTube now. And you know, hopefully YouTube doesn't Jot it down if too many people start watching it, but try to find it. And it's called Miracle on Main Street. It's made in 1939 because there are other ones like um, Hallmark ones, too.
1: Yes, and thank you for giving a little love to this film because it's uh it definitely of all the movies in the book, it's the one that deserves a little more it uh, does. attention. No, I, think.
0: I love it. You know, I'm like I, I'm always for the underdog. And I'm always for the underdog sweet movie. So yes, I really, really enjoyed that movie. Now this one, Remember the Night. That is uh over a holiday recess, an assistant district attorney falls in love with the woman he is prosecuting, and it's Fred McMurray and the lovely Barbara Stanwyck. And this movie is light, yet also dark.
1: It is, and this is one of my favorites—not um, just Christmas movies, but just movies. Movie, um, it's great. And you know, a lot of it, a lot of Christmas movies have darkness in mm-hmm. them. And I think that it's really necessary to make the, the joy that we all love about the movies, you know, feel so much more joyous. Yes. Um, I mean, it makes sense on a dramatic level, obviously. Um, but this is also just a really charming movie. It has, I mean, it's a total opposite of Miracle on Main Street. This is a major paramount, you know, A-level movie. Barbara Standard, Fred McMurray, written by Preston Sturges, directed by Mitchell Lyson. I mean, this is a, glittering film with made with a lot more money. Um, and, um, you know, it's, uh, the Main Street's it's a bit rough around the edges. This one is quite polished. And one thing that I think is so fascinating about remember the night is that when Fred McMurray, he brings Barbara Stanwyck to Indiana to drop her off at her old, you know, parents house for Christmas because right. it's on the way to his own, uh, parents house. And, of course, her parents her mother ends up being just a a horrible Ugh, um it's heartbreaking a horrible woman who wants nothing to do with her daughter. but the way the movie visually presents the two houses is so mm. interesting. Stanwick's family home is dark, it's cold, it's forbidding, it's very unwelcoming and um as far as possible from what you would want yeah it's like a home to be at Christmas with hate time.
0: you can almost yeah. feel that home is just negative <laughs> negative
1: hate and And McMurray's home with his mother, played by the wonderful Beulah Bondi, uh, is is warm and inviting and full of light and love and laughter and singing every total opposite. Now, it sounds almost simplistic to (laughs) to say, you know, to to, uh, see how these two homes are compared this way. But it really has an effect emotionally on the audience and the use of of lighting and sound. It all comes into play and uh, very cinematically done.
0: I'm getting really deeper into into Barbara's character. And you see, you know, how sad what life she came from, you know, and it's it was really something I think that they needed to show.
1: And one thing I learned or I came to conclude about Christmas movies was that you know the christmas when you talk about christmas being a meaningful uh, aspect of a of a story christmas means different things to people uh-huh. it can mean love and positivity and family but it can also mean alienation and loneliness yes. and dysfunction despair and um Re- remember the night gives us both of those aspects of the yes. season and it's they're heightened by the setting of christmas
0: time yes and it's really great and um, you know, it's one of those things we don't even know the ending to when it ends, right? It's sort of like, we'll yeah, see.
1: it's a it's a well constructed story because you you know he's prosecuting her. They fall in love during the film, but we know that when the Christmas break is over, they have to go back and resume this trial. And what's he going to do? Is he going to let her go because he loves her? But that would be morally wrong. So who knows what will happen? And
0: and his mom who loves Barbara kinda of gives her the, you know, you're such a nice person, but you're gonna ruin my son's life kind of thing, you know?
1: Yeah. yeah <laughs> Which is like, exactly.
0: ouch. But it is a wonderful movie. We're making it sound really downtrodden, but it has it, it is it's God, it's joy, it's got its everything. But it's 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 a deeper kind of Christmas film, I think. And I really, like you say, you can watch it at any time. I'm looking at the pictures. How cute. Um, I guess we could talk about the shop around the corner. That's also 1940. And I think y'all know about it. Bickering co-workers at a Budapest store don't realize they are falling for each other as anonymous pen pals. And it is a wonderful cast and a wonderful movie.
1: And directed by the great Ernst Lubitsch, and it was his favorite of all his work, which is really saying something because this is one of the great yes. filmmakers of all time, certainly in that era. And um, he really, you know, he it's it's a very personal film to him. It's set in Budapest, and um, a lot of his own memories of his his parents sort of figured into the story. I think his father actually had a shop like the one in the film. Um, but it's really the interplay between Jimmy Stewart and Margaret Sullivan is their chemistry is fantastic. It's the third of four movies that they made together. And um, it's uh, it's you know, it's this is a film where they they hate each other in in person, but they don't know that they're in love with each other as anonymous pen pals,
0: which you know? I love. Uh,
1: this was remade as You've Got Mail, but uh, nothing can touch this original one. Um, it was also remade, actually, with uh, Judy Garland as in the good old summertime. Yes, and
0: musical.
1: of course, this one. Um, but this one is also interesting for its Christmas element because it's set at the you know end of the year and Christmas. As the movie, as the story approaches Christmas, you get more and more imagery of Christmas in the frame: uh, Christmas trees, decorations, things like that. And it's sort of like Christmas is this entity that's starting to creep in and work its magic on this couple. It's very it's very charming the way that is done.
0: It is. And it's funny because he and Margaret knew each other in New York. She was married to his best friend for a very brief time, Henry Fonda. And, and basically he was in love with her, James Stewart. So um, they had that chemistry. And I think it was – uh, what was his name? Walter Pidgeon. He said, oh, Maggie knew it. She just played it up. She knew how much that boy loved her. Because you know? they did. I don't know what movie they did. I, re- I can't remember the name of it. But it was a wonderful movie. And I have to say, you know, he had a lot of patience because she was pretty mean. <laughs> she was really mean, but she wrote such beautiful things too. And we can't yep. forget the supporting cast who were absolutely fabulous. Frank Morgan as the owner, Hugo Maticek. And it's this wonderful sort of side plot that goes on where he he thinks of Jim, Jimmy Stewart as his son, but then he, all of a sudden he starts getting suspicious of him and it and it calls for a lot of interesting things. Joseph Shieldcraft, Felix Bressart, who I love. Uh, William Tracy, who you've seen and so many great people. Um it's a wonderful movie and it makes you feel good all the way through, I think.
1: Yeah, and I also Although just want there's to point darkness. Out that- <laughs> I know this is one of <laughs> one Christmas movie that has an attempted suicide yes, scene in it. I know. Now this is despite all the all the all the comedy that dominates the movie, and yet it feels totally in place. It, it doesn't, does. It doesn't feel out of place at all. Hundred percent. And you really got to hand it to um, to Lubitsch for making it work. It's really hard to blend tones like that in a film. And um, suicide is a not uncommon device in Christmas movies, um, which might sound surprising, but there are several that incorporate it.
0: Huh. Well, yes. Oh, so I know which ones you mean. Okay. I want to talk about this one. I'm kind of going in the line, but it's, I just want to talk about this one because this is a fascinating film and I think a lot of people probably do not know it. It's sort of a sci-fi kind of deal, Beyond Tomorrow.
1: Yes, uh, this is another one I'm very fond of. This is a little more in the vein of Miracle on Main Street. It's a low budget film um, doesn't has it's, it cast is entirely character actors, no major stars. And um, it's, uh, it's, it also goes into the realm of fantasy mm-hmm. more than well, really, the first one, not the ones we've discussed and christmas allows this to happen this is you know some characters let's just say that they perish and they return as as angels in effect and they try and guide the living people this couple towards each other in love and um it's it's in a way it's not really a great movie because it's a, it's just a little it's a little far-fetched but I think that I, I think watching it at Christmas especially makes it work because at Christmas we want we are more ready to accept this kind of thing in a movie. I think this kind of uh, flight of fancy. Yeah. Um, is that fair? Uh, yes,
0: I love and, that flight of fancy.
1: Perfect. And <laughs> the Christmas time, yeah, a Christmas setting allows the audience to accept fantasy even more than they than they normally would. I think. Um, and it also incorporates a, a romance, you know, move Christmas movies of this era were much more about love and romance. Um,
0: and then the Wicked City woman comes in, (laughs) Ellen Vinson. Yeah,
1: that's right. And it gets Uh,
0: very dark again. Not only do these guys die in a plane crash and they come back as ghosts, but there's like a really weird ending and, uh, <laughs> but it's interesting i like it you know the first time i saw it i wasn't that crazy about it and then again i watched it um i think i watched it i did a double header i did um miracle on main street and i did this one and i had seen it before but i liked watching it again and i liked it much much better
1: yeah it has a weird kind of pull on the audience doesn't it there's it something does. like it's the kind of movie that you kind of fall in love with even though you know it's not the greatest movie. Not that it's bad. I'm just, it's, it shouldn't be as a, much of, as a, of a favorite as I think it is among those who see it. But, um, if that makes any sense, but I it's also, it. it has beautiful art direction. It and, does. Uh, well appointed and yeah, Helen Vincent as the bad girl is always. I uh, love her.
0: Uh, Did you ever see a name only?
1: <laughs> With, oh yes, and yeah. I
0: love her. She's so horrible.
1: Uh, and also Maria Uspenskaya is one uh-huh. of my favorite character actors. Oh, and, she's so uh, sweet
0: in this one. Oh, I love yeah. her. Yeah, she was great in this. Um, I just there's a few things I I like the Man Who Came to Dinner, and one of the reasons I like it is Monty Woolley looks like a combination of two of my dear friends. <laughs> like the <laughs> eyes and the nose kind of match, and then the mouth and the <laughs> and I'm like, boy, does he look like them, but the Man Who Came to Dinner was a Broadway show. It's about a witty but insufferable author, injures his leg, and is confined to the house of an Ohio couple over the Christmas holiday and has an amazing cast, but the lead they weren't so sure about.
1: That's right. Uh, Monty Woolley was not the first choice for the movie. Um, as I recall, they um, were looking at, uh, they tested people like Charles Lawton and John Barrymore. John Barrymore at this point could barely, you know, read lines without cue cards, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and Orson Well. it came out, you know, um, I think Leonard Bolton about 10 years ago discovered, I think it was he who discovered from some studio files that Orson Welles was really trying to uh, get the studio to give him this role. He <laughs> had just made Citizen Kane, and he loved the man who came to dinner and wanted to play um, Sheridan White's side. Uh, but um, RKO wouldn't wouldn't loan him out. Um, so in the end, they went with uh, Monty Woolley, who had who had played the role on Broadway. Um, I mean, the thing is woolley Hollywood did not. Just because someone was a star on Broadway was not enough for Hollywood to automatically give them a movie role for an adaptation. They didn't look at it that way. They wanted, you know, tried uh, and proven movie stars. Right. And this was an example where the Broadway star became a movie star because, uh, you know, he was able to make the transition.
0: Oh, he has um, such presence. He was wonderful. Yeah, you know, he comes, he jumps right at you.
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, you couldn't imagine. I mean, you, you actually could imagine Orson Welles in this role, but you can't imagine anything, anyone being better than I, uh, Sheridan. Than I, I don't fully. think he
0: would have had the charm, uh, you know, because mm, you had to yeah. pull off a charming bit as well. Uh, yes. as long, uh, and it as obnoxious as he was, there had to be a bit of a charm angle. And this had our incredible cast it had Betty Davis and Sheridan. Uh Richard Travis, he was the dad, I believe. Jimmy Duranty as Banjo. Billy Burke, Reginald Gardner, Elizabeth Fraser, Grant Mitchell, George Barry, Mary Wicks. Now this was her first screen role. I didn't know that.
1: Yes. Um she had played the part on Broadway as well. And so it was a pretty good role for her first movie role, considering Excellent. she you know, knew it so well. And it, she was perfectly cast, obviously. And she had a great career. Oh. I mean, she, her career went up to Little Women, the 90s version.
0: I absolutely love her. And I was, you know, this is, like I said, there are tidbits in all the descriptions of the book. So you have, there's lots to read. He did a fabulous job. Um, and Betty Davis plays, she doesn't play the, the movie star, the vamp. She plays the assistant who is more, how would we call her? Mm, she's just not a glamour puss. She's an assistant who, who you know, and, you know, she doesn't well, go out of her way to be attractive, but she is attractive because she looks cute. But uh, Ann Sheridan got the role of the va va voom girl. And did they want – Betty wanted that part as Maggie, right?
1: Um, I'm trying to remember now. I don't remember I, – I, I can't remember for sure if that's true, but um, she was
0: she she did play a different part. That's for she, sure.
1: Yeah, no, I I guess yes, no, of course, I think yes, she she did want to play Maggie Cutler, um, who was the Ann Sheridan role. But I'm glad she ended up in the role that she has because you know, in a way, it's the more interesting role. It even is. Though the oh, Ann the Sheridan other one, character so is, over the
0: top. Over yeah, the top. Yep. Yeah. Great, but over the top. And I loved Betty's character. What I couldn't stand about this movie was a doofoid. She falls for <laughs> the newspaper writer guy. He is such a horrible creep. Oh, gee whiz. You know, he's this, that. And, and he's just doesn't even ever kiss her. And Anne Sheridan comes around. He wants to be a playwright. And he's going to go up to the Catskills or somewhere with her, the Poconos, to write this novel while Betty's crooning. And I want to say, Betty, kick him to the curb. Don't don't let him publish this thing. I didn't get what she would see in that oaf.
1: Well, I don't know. What are you going to say? The movie the movie still works. And, it still um,
0: works, but that's the only I, part I, I don't like because like, I want to slug him. Yeah.
1: What <laughs> I like about it as a Christmas movie is that it does have this current of irreverence, which um, is really refreshing in Christmas movies. If we see a lot of movies that are all about you know, love and joy and togetherness. And uh, sometimes it's fun to get a little cynicism, a little, you know, dark comedy.
0: It's fun. I like it a lot. And this is
1: an early example of that.
0: I love that movie. And I didn't think I would love it as much as I did, but I absolutely loved that movie. You added a movie that I love so much. I think I've only seen it once on uh, TCM. I'll be seeing you with uh, Ginger Rogers and the lovely Joseph Cotton, a man and woman each mentally fragile meet on a train just before Christmas and start a tenuous romance. I love that movie.
1: Me too. And this is one that I actually had not seen before doing this book. And I'm really glad that I was able to see it and include it because I really fell in love with it. And, um, it's, it's kind of an unusual Christmas movie. It's not, you know, it's, some might say, well, it's set at Christmas, but it's not really a Christmas movie. And I, I, I disagree because this is another example. I, of our, dis- you, I am with you.
0: Yeah, I disagree. Yeah, you, really a Christmas sense, movie. Cause you really get the
1: sense, because you really got the sense that the season is helping these two people along to heal themselves and, you know, find each other in and love help each and, other. And the, the the family unit in this film is also sort of heightened by the Christmas time setting. Yes, it's, um, it, the movie wouldn't have worked very well if it were set, you know, over the no. Easter holiday yes. or something like that. July
0: Fourth? No, it's just the warmth. You know, New Year's. This was Shirley Temple's, I believe, first adult role.
1: That's right. That's she right. was
0: really good as the annoying teenager. I mean, she really was very good, um, and. You know, this movie is just beautiful to me. It's one of my favorite Christmas movies, and I love Ginger in this. I love Joseph Cotton. I think he is underrated um, big time. And it also shows you, because it's set during wartime, that um, post-traumatic stress disorder also—then it was known as shell shock— and it shows it pretty intense and in him sort of talking himself out of it, the panic attack, the anxiety. And and the things, you know, like the guy, Chill Wills, in the ice cream shop kind of like talking about the war and how he'd like to go back. And he's like, you know, obviously he's had shell shock. And um, these two people find each other and... and and you know that it's going to be okay, even though it doesn't end like, okay, it's all going to be okay. It ends like it will be, but we don't know for sure, but it sure seems like that way.
1: Yeah, it's it's the first one in, in my book, in any case, that is really about the effect of the war on on the characters. Um, it comes up in other films in the 40s, too, but it's pretty explicit here. I mean, pretty blatant, I should say in the way that it links the two. And, uh, it's very poignant. I mean, um, you know, it, uh, I've been thinking about this lately that periods of great, um, upheaval and distress on society like world war two or nine 11, they do, there, there has been, you know, there have been spurts of Christmas movies in the years after events like that. And, um, I wouldn't be surprised if we get another glut of Christmas movies in the next, Four or five years after Hallmark, the pandemic, Hallmark, that we've all been
0: living through.
1: Hallmark,
0: Hallmark. Um, well, <laughs> Netflix is doing some, maybe, but Hulu and the other ones are doing it, and I hope they make. You know, I mean, and I am not putting down Hallmark, you guys. I know a lot of you watch it. My sister does, and I was with her for a couple days, and I have to admit, I got into a couple. So there you go. But <laughs> I hope so, really, because they're 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 very uh, you. You know they're not always happy, peppy, but they but they mean something, and that's why I like those different kind of movies. I like the ones that are a little dark. I've got to ask you if you've ever caught this one, Christmas Holiday.
1: Oh yeah, Gene Kelly and and uh, and uh, Deanna uh, Durbin, um, Judy uh, Deanna Durbin. Yes, of course. No, and I I looked at that film to consider it for this book. Especially because I really wanted an example of film noir. Um, it I, is, I decided yeah. it. I didn't think it was really a Christmas movie. Um, that to me is one that has the setting, but it doesn't really have anything to do with the holiday. It's a great movie. Oh, I, I love I really it. Really love it.
0: I encourage you um, all to see it. And also, guess what, you guys? I caught it on YouTube. It's called Christmas Holiday. Uh, Deanna Durbin, Gene Kelly sounds and this is it, you know, when people went to the movies to see this film, you know, like Deanna Durbin. This is her first dramatic role, and I thought she did a great job. And Gene Kelly, oh, it's gonna be fun, and they came out all discombobulated from this film. But I do highly recommend it. And it is dark, and check it out. It's a character study as well, and Gail Sondergaard is fabulous. Um but, well, yes. it's well worth seeing. I, yes. I agree. Yes. Eddie was going to get that. Eddie Muller was going to try to get that. I don't know why, because he was supposed to show it for um, I don't know noir, because it is noir. Um, why don't we go to Christmas in Connecticut?
1: I'm happy to go to Christmas in Connecticut. I love that movie. Me too. Um, Our
0: lovely Babs again, Barbara Stanwyck. Yes,
1: she can. She can do no wrong. She's my and, favorite
0: actress. She's so yeah versatile.
1: Uh, yeah, I, she's certainly my favorite of that era. She might be my favorite as well. And talk about versatility. She made this right after *Double Indemnity*. I, I mean, know. I love her, it. She's so. You can't get two more different parts.
0: Yes. And um it's stars- I mean what what I like
1: about it is when she does a comedy like this, she still takes it seriously and treats the she gives her all to the role. And yes. you don't get the sense that she's looking down on it or treating it like some frivolous or slapped sticky or something. or
0: something. No. She goes with yeah. it. It's cute. Um honky, Dennis Morgan comes in. She she plays this I think you guys mostly know about it. She plays um the cooking and home gal. She's supposed to be married, and he it, he got uh, he was hungry. He <laughs> his uh, sub I guess submarine got caught. He and his friend were at sea forever, and um, he ended up going to Elizabeth's house. They had to make it up. They had to go with Reginald Gardner. I get these Reginals confused. He was also in the man who knew too much as well. Who played her fiancé. Um,
1: yes, yes, that's right. That's right.
0: I always get him confused with the Reginald Denny and Reginald, whoever yep. the other guy is. I don't, know. I don't know. Did you know he went out with, this is a tidbit, when, um, I do this all the time, you can ask Sloan. This is a tidbit about him. When um, Hedy Lamar first came to the States, she was hanging big time with him. He was totally enthralled and in love with Hetty. Who can blame him? But hence, she moved on. Okay, that's my little tidbit. Oh, no.
1: okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's good to know.
0: Yeah. stories of Tinseltown, they're not only true, true
1: stories.